Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. And in the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. It's Ian. Federal appeals court rules Detroit's asset forfeiture violates due, pro- or due process rights of drivers. And that's a really good thing because if you don't know what civil asset forfeiture is, it's just stealing which the government has made legal for its goons. So it's okay for them, but not anyone else. I mean, it's just not okay, but it's not illegal for them to do it. It's not stealing when they do it. It is, but... No, it absolutely is. But (laughs) they have a different name for it. So they have this in a lot of cases with government programs and government taxes. Like, you know, tax... They're basically euphemisms, right? So the word tax has a definition, a sort of a legal definition, but the reality is it's just extortion. It's just where they tell you, you pay us this amount that we decide, or else we're going to hurt you, maybe steal your kids from you, maybe steal your home from you. That is the definition of extortion. When the mafia does it, it's extortion, but when the government does it, it's taxes. Yep. So they do all kinds of things like that where they can do it, but you can't do it, and... Even if they do their civil asset forfeiture theft in a way that ends up being ruled to have not been correct, it wasn't right, Mm -hmm. they're just not going to get in trouble anyway because they have... um, Qualified immunity, I think. Yeah, qualified immunity. Yeah, and then, of course, you have to fight to get your stuff back. So, uh, and, And civil asset forfeiture is different from criminal asset forfeiture where... You know, if somebody is convicted of a so-called crime, which, of course, many of these are victimless, like the Crypto 6 case, there's forfeiture in those cases as well. Um, but civil asset forfeiture, we have seen some reform on. There have been some states that have done this. I believe New Hampshire is one of them uh, where and I can't say off the top of my head exactly how far these reforms have, have gone or, you know, what the most um, relevant points are. But I know there has been some in recent Recent years. Criminal or civil asset civil, forfeiture? Of civil asset. Yeah, well, it's even. it seems to be even worse than criminal asset forfeiture in a way because at least if you get things taken from you after you have lost a court case, like at least they tr- um, are making it look like they followed due process laws. But with civil asset forfeiture, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but it usually just involves you got pulled over, you're suspected of something, they take all your money. Mm-hmm. Even if you get proven to have not done it, sometimes you can't get your money back. Well, at least you have to really fight to get it back. Yeah. And that usually means hiring lawyers. And of course, they don't work cheap. You know, yeah. good lawyer is going to cost you $350 an hour. Yeah. And if you already, if you got $1,000 taken from you, you're not going to want to spend $8,000 to fight it. Nope. I mean, there's the principle of the matter, but then there's the reality, which is, you know, money means something and you're not going to spend more than the cost of the thing. So like our friend, I mean, this isn't civil asset forfeiture, but our friend on the show, Joa, who was uh, our co-host on Thursdays for a while, he got a, uh, what was it, a restraining order against him and they the cops took his gun. And then a year later, once the restraining order was lifted, and it was wrongfully put on him in the first place. Yeah, we went to the trial. I wanted to say yeah. it was completely ridiculous. We were shocked that the judge ruled the way he did. But the BS didn't stop once it was over, you know, the year was over. The the police then said, yeah, sure, you can come get your gun that we confiscated from you. There's an $800 storage fee 
that we're charging you for this. And it's just like, the gun isn't worth $800. Why am I going to pay you, police department, an $800 storage fee? And it's just ridiculous to think, well, we confiscated something from you. You didn't want stored with us, but you're going to have to pay us for it at all. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, shouldn't that be like covered under taxes or something? You would think. I mean, the police are definitely like getting plenty of money from people through taxes. There's no doubt. The good news is there is at least one state rep that I'm aware of who this has been brought to his attention. Uh, he's a Free Talk Live listener. I don't know if I should name names, but he is considering putting in some legislation in regards to these ridiculous storage fees. Nice. So That's we may really see good. some some change on that front as well. Is it just a New Hampshire thing? It's yeah. Not- yeah. I, well, it may be happening elsewhere, but I suspect that the chance it'll be repealed anywhere else is fairly low. Well, let's get right into this Reason.com article. It says, A panel of federal appellate judges unanimously ruled Thursday that Detroit's practice of seizing people's cars for months at a time before giving them a chance to contest the seizure violates vehicles' 14th Amendment right to due process. The vehicle's 14th Amendment right to due process? Sorry, the vehicle owner's 14th Amendment right to due process. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do 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 weird things where they treat they vehicles like cars. Like it'll be if you get something taken in uh, civil asset forfeiture, like say you got a Mercedes Benz taken. Well, they create a case, mm-hmm. and it will be white 2004 Mercedes Benz versus the United States or versus something Wyoming, like that, whatever. Yeah. It, it's just so weird. They treat it like it's a person whenever they seize it. I don't know why. This isn't really a right or a left issue. This is an issue with police being out of control, uh, being able to just take stuff and have absolutely near to zero accountability for it. This particular lawsuit you're talking about is bringing a little bit more ca- accountability to this the Wayne one County. County, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, well, just, it's, it's, it's going to the Supreme Court. So yeah, it's going to presumably... Sixth Circuit, yeah. Yeah, if, uh, if the Supreme Court rules in favor as the, the Sixth Circuit did, because the Sixth Circuit ruled positively, right? Yep. In this case. Yeah, so if the Supreme Court, I guess, upholds their ruling, then that'll be a good thing. Although, again, it won't stop civil asset forfeiture. Says Stephanie Wilson, the third plaintiff in the Institute for Justice suit, alleged that Detroit police seized two of her cars over a six-month period because she gave rides to her daughter's father, whom police suspected of drug activity, although no drugs or guns were found in either instance. Jeez. That's crazy. So she was like, well, at least I have my second car. And then they took it, too. I can't imagine that. In the first case, she lost her car after missing a filing deadline. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. She only got her second car back after waiting two years for a court hearing. Well, I mean, you know how it is with all these court hearings and deadlines. You've got a court hearing coming up tomorrow that you didn't even know about. It was on my calendar, though, so we're not going to miss it. But you didn't know. I mean, and it's you don't even have like, you know, three kids or whatever running around like some of these people probably do. Just imagine trying to keep track of all that stuff. And maybe she wanted to... represent herself because she like didn't like her public defender or something i mean who knows why she was doing that because you'd think that she'd have a public defender Mm, i don't think you get public defenders on civil cases oh Hmm. well yeah that's something that you only get for a criminal matter it's kind of messed up that she doesn't she's just up s creek without a paddle in this case she has no cars how's she gonna get there it's hard to even know what you're supposed to file 
where you're supposed to go to file it or when you're supposed to file it. Because it's not like when you go to any sort of court, they just start giving you instructions. Like, don't no, forget they, to file they specifically by the tell you we can't give you legal advice. If yeah. you ask them a question about what to do or when to do it, uh, the general answer is we can't tell you that. You have to hire an attorney. you got to hire one of our people. And it's really messed up because she probably didn't have that money. I mean, she's driving around her baby daddy who's suspected of drug activity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, jumping to conclusions about her. But I'm glad that IJ took the case. It says, after reviewing the plaintiff's, t- plaintiff's cases, the panel of Sixth Circuit judges could only agree that a perverse profit incentive, not crime fighting, was driving Wayne County's asset forfeiture program. Quote, although Wayne County ostensibly seized the vehicles because of reasons related to health, safety, and or drugs, the record suggests otherwise, that the county seized the vehicles in order to obtain proceeds from fees. This is what the court... Unquote. This is from a quote from the court ruling. The court wrote. Okay. Hmm. Quote, if Wilson's vehicle had a dangerous connection with drugs, it is unclear why the county promptly released the vehicle after a payment of $1,355. <laughs> And if Ingram's vehicle was a public nuisance, the county's willingness to release the vehicle for $1,800 suggests it is more interested in the money than in redeeming a public nuisance, unquote. Wow. That's uh, uh, that's quite a rebuke from the court. Right. And it's case. just like, why doesn't the court realize, or or why don't, if this happens, maybe other courts, it'll be precedent and other courts can realize that this whole practice of civil asset forfeiture is just perverse we incentivized. Yeah, there's a weird thing about court appeals, as I understand it. When you appeal something, you know, you have to appeal on specific questions of law, as I understand it. Again, if you're an attorney, feel free to call in to clarify this. Uh, 603-283-6160. But you have, to, you have to have a specific error of law that a judge made prior to you or some sort of question on, on the law that you're appealing. And... You generally, you know, if it's a specific case about like what we're talking about here where people are having their cars stolen, you're appealing on certain points. You're not generally appealing on the whole thing. Like you're not appealing on the entirety of the concept of civil asset forfeiture. So like you're generally not asking that question. And even if you did sort of bring that up in the appeal – the judges aren't obligated to answer every question on your appeal. They can just simply answer one of them, use that as the reason to overturn the previous court's ruling, and be done with it. So it's very hard to get a judge to do something like what you're talking about, which is to overturn an entire like established legal procedure. Hmm. It's just not as likely to happen through the courts as it would be to actually get legislatures to overturn civil asset forfeiture. That's where it started. That's likely the way it's going to have to end. It's difficult for anybody in any economic circumstance to have to go through the embarrassment of having the police pull you over and then literally stealing your car out from under you, which is how a lot of this stuff happens. They just pull somebody over and then they don't arrest them. They take their car and leave you know, leave them on the side of the road um, I always remembered of the story I heard in Florida, in Manatee County, where the sheriff there, who was sort of notoriously a corrupt sheriff, was having his drug squad go around and pull people over. and People they didn't like, people they wanted to target, people that had a nice car, whatever they, you know reason was 
uh, that they wanted to go after. Usually it's going to be poorer people because they know that they don't they can't afford attorneys. And you could tell someone's really poor if they're driving around with a, a really beater. crappy car. Yeah. So they would pull those people over and they would tell them, look, uh, we're going to take this from you, especially if they like actually did find some marijuana or something like that. Like, we're going to take your car from you. We'll let you off of the charges this time. Now, all you have to do is just sign this piece of paper here that allows us to take the car from you. And so it was like an under duress threat where they, you know, essentially, quote unquote, consented to having their car taken from them. And in this case, this wouldn't have been the same thing as civil asset forfeiture, but it's sort of similar. It's just using the power of the, the police and their intimidation to be able to just simply take things from from people, and that's that was what was going on there. Allegedly, these are the stories that uh, that I heard was happening. This is how these people who sign up to become cops are making their money. They're going around in uh, scaring people mm-hmm. with their authority and taking things from them. They're not going around making you safer, no. any safer than you would be if. They got out of the way and let you hire your own security. Right. I mean, what is the difference? One of the examples in this case, there were three different def- or uh, three different plaintiffs in this case against Wayne County, which is, again, the Detroit area, I believe, of yeah, but Michigan. Says Detroit's included. Yeah. So these three people, one of them was allegedly, but they never arrested her for this. They never proved this claim. She was allegedly giving rides to her ex-husband or boyfriend or something Just like that. Just said her baby's daddy who was allegedly a drug dealer. So the suggestion there... He was suspected of being a drug dealer. It's not even like, oh, he was convicted before. Well, let's just say that he was a drug dealer. The the idea that you should be facing some sort of criminal penalty for simply taking him from point A to point B, she doesn't... They didn't prove that she knew he was selling drugs. They have no evidence of this. If they did, they would have brought a, a criminal case against her, but they didn't have that. So they Crazy. just took her car. But does that mean that you get to take, let's say this guy, you know, she's got her car taken from her at this point. So that's out of the, that's out of commission. He's still got to go wherever he's got to go. So he might get on like the county bus. Well, obviously they're not going to take the county bus, yeah. right? What if he calls an Uber? What if he calls a cab company and they take him from point A to point B? And what if at point B he sells drugs to somebody and then calls Uber and takes the cab back, you know, to to wherever it is he was he was Yeah, from? it's obviously not important that the driver know that he's a drug dealer. Well, yeah, and in fact the drivers I'm sure would prefer to not know that. Uh No, but, I'm saying it's not important to the cops. Well, that's what I'm saying. Can they take the Ubers too? I mean, under this under this principle that you can just take stuff from anybody that helps somebody who's doing a nefarious deed or whatever. And again, I think drug dealing should be legal, but it's not. Is it just the wife, you know, or the uh, just the ex-wife who can be targeted? It sounds to me like they can go after absolutely anybody that they want to, regardless of whether they knew or not what was going on, because they didn't bring any criminal charges. So all they got to do is follow around a drug dealer all day, and if he takes any Ubers, just go ahead and take their cars from them. It's ridiculous. But it's that's really what this—that's what is actually going on, or could be going on. Settlement agreements like the ones in Wayne County are not unusual, however. Before Albuquerque ended its asset forfeiture program, hmm. it would force owners, even innocent owners, to pay $850 to recover their cars. Wow. In Albuquerque, resident Arlene Harjo's 
case, the city offered to return her car for $4,000 after her son was arrested for drunk driving. So wow. he was driving she her wasn't car. wasn't even... <laughs> wow. Hey, $4,000. I wonder how long they held on to it for prior to that. The Institute for Justice's lawsuit will now head back to the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan for further proceedings on its Fourth Amendment claims. The Wayne County forfeiture machine takes in over 1,000 cars every year, Institute for yep. Justice attorney Kirby Thomas West said. Now Detroit car owners can at least rest assured that they will have a speedy opportunity to challenge a seizure when they find themselves victims of this forfeiture machine. Hmm. That's, yep. it. That's all they get. I mean, it's not ending the procedure. It's not ending the uh, the seizing of these cars. It's not ending the nightmare that these people are going through, but it's going to shorten the length potentially of the nightmare. Now it's only going to be two weeks until you get a hearing. And what that actually means, I don't know, right? I, like, does that mean that you have the hearing and then the judge makes a decision and then you get your car back within a week? Or is it going to be that you have the hearing, but then it takes another five months to get the car back? Like, what is the reality that these people are going to actually have to deal with because in some cases, it's like, okay, well, the judge has ruled X. Well, now the police department's not doing what they're supposed to do. What do you do then? you got to go back in front of the judge and say, judge, the police department, you said I'm supposed to get my car back. It's now been four weeks because, well, you know, it takes a few weeks to get a court hearing, right? It's now been four weeks. I still haven't gotten the car back. And you please order the police to give this And, of course, car they all back. work on the same side. So Yeah. And then the judge is going to say, oh, you naughty police, I'm ordering you and you have two more weeks to give. Right. Mm -hmm. So like how long does this actually take? What's the realistic? How how much is this actually going to help people? I'm not saying it's not good. It's good news. But it's just like it's this is nothing more than like the nibbling around the edges of civil asset forfeiture. This has done absolutely nothing to stop people uh, from getting their cars taken from them for ridiculous nonsense reasons. And I don't know about you or most of the listeners, but most of my life, if my car was taken away from me for even two weeks, it would have been catastrophic. Catastrophic. Like, especially when I was an Uber Eats driver. Right. That was your, that was literally your livelihood. I mean, you can't do that on the city bus. No. You could do it on a bike, but not in San Antonio easily. Yeah. Um, well, so plus yeah. you're not going to get anywhere quickly on a bike. And so, you know, food's going to be cold and that sort of thing. So it'd be really tough. Yeah, I didn't have a bike. Yep. If they took my car, I wouldn't have money to get a bike. Yep. Um, yeah, so I just really feel, feel bad for people that this is happening to them. And I just think all police are bastards. That's all I have to say about that. Well, I mean, that's all not... I get, I get where you're coming from on that. I just don't know if I necessarily agree. I think some are worse than others. And I think that there are some uh, police out there who they got into it for the right reasons. They, they That doesn't really make them a good that, person. Well, they thought that they were going to be stopping criminals. From Maybe I got doing... into the mafia for a good reason, <laughs> but after a few days of looking around and seeing that, like, oh, this guy just takes orders from the boss to, like, kill people, and this mm-hmm. other guy just uh, goes to businesses and tells them to pay up, and, and that's what they're asking me to do, you realize I got to get out of this or you're a bad person. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from on that, uh, but I, I, I just... I want to believe that there are some people who are deluded to the point where they think they can change the system from within. There are those people who think that, 
even though it seems to be a ridiculous viewpoint to have because so how you're not do going you to go on continuing to do very bad things to people while thinking you're going to change things from the inside and it make not make you a bad person. Ian. Well, what if I mean we've had cops call the show over the years who have given examples of how they look the other way about certain things, right? So they pull somebody over. There's a joint in the ashtray. It's a state in which marijuana is illegal. So they're a good and- person because they didn't harm them more than they were already harming them. <laughs> they took their time, even if just it. pulling them it. over, yeah. and then they took their money most likely by giving them tickets. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, look, we, you are coming in from a very, very uh, principled perspective here, Bonnie, and that I, means I definitely, <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. Um, and yeah, obviously I don't support police pulling people over for, you know, victimless crimes, which is the vast majority of reasons police pull somebody over every now and then, you know, they do pull somebody over who's, who potentially could create a victim. Right. I mean, yeah, but these people are grown adults. They know that their job of pulling over somebody who's drunk driving, getting a drunk driver off the road Mm -hmm. could be done in a way that doesn't steal from people. Jet. You're on the air with us, Jet. What's on your yeah, mind? Yeah, you were talking about you were talking about cops, and I uh, I have a certain feeling about that. Now, I understand that my father was a police detective, and my first stint in the military, I was actually part of the Algeria uh, police. But um, my perspective on that is that uh, these individuals have either a character behavior disorder of some sort that allows them to be really nice and friendly on the one side, but if under certain circumstances, they could be like a mad dog. Yep. I know exactly uh, what it is too. Um, It's the idea of the fact that they believe that there is such thing as human authority over another. So they have, and I've noticed this in my own dad who I love, like I have the best dad ever, but I've noticed this in my own dad that he can flip back and forth from being, well, he just is a nice person. He's a really nice person. Everybody likes him. Like, he's always super popular. He's really social. And the thing is, it's because he has this belief in human authority from being in the military. So he believes that there are people above him that he should be subservient to. And then there are people below him that he should be able to yell at. I've watched my own dad, who I've never seen act like this in my life, just get out of the car and go and yell at somebody on a military base like I wasn't expecting that at all just because he was mad because the guy was like talking on the phone while walking on the base which you're not supposed to do and it was like a underling soldier and it's just this personality disorder that develops when you believe oh there are people that can tell me what to do so i gotta act subservient but because of that i have people under me that i can control and that's what cops believe in too hierarchy well, I wonder how old that um, that adage is that power corrupts. I mean, how old? That's is an old that? one. When did? I don't know. I'll look it up for you. Wasn't it Adam um, Weishaupt or something? Uh, or um, it's probably been said by a bunch of different people over time. Francis Bacon, something yeah. like that. I can't remember now. In in either event, um, you know my feeling also about using the term government. I've I listen to you pretty much as much as I can, and. Uh, I've got to say that uh, there are only people, bad people, people who you know have this behavior, character behavior disorder, people who somehow just are influenced by evil forces, whatever you want to think about it. But those are the only people, it seems that, well, primarily. There are, I know there are a few, 
small, very small number of people who actually are in it for someone else's good for a hundred times. But, but the whole concept of this thing we call government is just bogus. Mm-hmm. Well, it is just human beings using the threat of violence over other human beings and then covering it up with all this pomp and circumstance of badges and uniforms and cars and constitutions. Yeah, well, that, isn't that what I'm saying? That To believe that you, you are a part of this realm, to believe that you have these powers, there's something awfully wrong with your thinking. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's what I had today. Well, here is the answer to your question. Uh, The quote that you guys are referring to is, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It is Lord Acton uh, who said that. I tried to memorize that once. That's why the word Adam was the only thing coming to my mind. He was from the, it looks like the parliament over in the UK and served in parliament in the 1860s. So sometime in the 1800s was when that one came about. So can I ask you, Jet, um, was your dad to you just a bad person? Was he a bad person altogether? Or was he usually being a pretty good person, but he could do bad things? Well, I tend to want to think that he was was a good guy, but I have to know that uh, in that profession, you've got to be that way. Now, for the most part, he was a tough, he was a tough guy. Um, he was in World War One and World War Two, and a policeman in between. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of that indoctrination and a lot of uh, experience, I guess, um, ruling over other people. Now, as far as his home life, um, yeah, he was pretty tough at home. I mean, he wasn't as bad as some, but uh, pretty strict and uh, you gotta you gotta watch it what you said and, and what you did, otherwise you'd be in for a world of hurt. I'm gonna go to an anonymous caller. You're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Yeah, so I had a question regarding something I believe I heard before you guys went to commercial. You were talking about morality. And uh, you said your father was a medic or did I mishear that? Yeah, he was a medic in the army. Oh, okay. I was con- I was confused as to whether or not you had meant an EMT or not. And we were talking about oh. the we were talking about the, well, you guys were talking about the morality of being in a position. You have the belief that all police officers are bad. Am I correct in assuming that, or am I being presumptuous? That is Bonnie's uh, belief. I did not say that. Yeah, they're being okay. bad people while they're doing those jobs. That's not, not no. to say they can't change. Yes, that's what my belief is. Now, do you believe your father was a bad person for being a medic in the Army? Oh, uh, yeah, I think he was being a bad person the whole time he was doing that. Can you elaborate on why you think that? Because he knew that 9-11 wasn't what they said that it was, and he went to Iraq anyway. In response to 9-11? Now, you saying he knew, what did he know about 9-11? He knew that they were lying about the official story and that these people weren't, you know, uh, guilty of killing people on 9-11 and he was just going over there assisting no he wasn't shooting people but he was assisting in uh you know destroying somebody else's country 
Now, for an individual that let's assume that what you're saying is correct, right, that they were lying about 9-11. Now, removing that, do you think an individual who did have the belief set that there were terrorists attacking the United States and they wanted to go and fight for their country? Because I had relatives who were in high school at the time who immediately enlisted uh, as soon as 9-11 had happened because they believed America was under attack. Now, do you believe individuals that go to defend their nation at a point like that are bad people? Yes, because your question is flawed already you asked me if those types of people would be wrong for going to defend their nation that's not what the word defend means defense means i am in immediate threat and i'm going to take up arms or do whatever to stop the threat from hurting me or my friends and family or just a random person on the street you see who's about to get um harmed it doesn't mean that a city i mean a um, building was bombed or, you know, ran into in New York City. So a couple years later, you're going to go into the country of origin of some of the flyers. Well, I don't think they were Iraqis, but whatever. Yep. It, we're going to go into the Middle East because those people were Muslims and kill a bunch of other random people or take over their country. It, that is not defense. That's not what that word so means. true. So the argument would be, so the reason for invading Iraq, to my understanding, was because they believed that Iraq had supported um, al-Qaeda, at least to some degree. And there was lies said, about weapons of mass destruction and all kinds of well, well, sure. you know, nonsense. Well, sure, but I- I'm trying to get to the morality standpoint of it. Now, if these individuals had come from Iraq, and we had a good understanding that they did, and they had already knocked buildings into the ground and destroyed the Pentagon and killed people in uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and they do you died. not think it would be... Do you not think it would be justified to take military action against the nation who posed the threat? Absolutely I do not, not think that's justified. No, no, there's no justification I, I for it. that. And I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on it because there's a difference between the individuals who committed a crime, which is what you're describing is a, a criminal act, uh, and the people of a quote unquote nation, which is nothing more than, uh, you know, a concept. Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. 86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. What's on your mind, Major? Well, I'm just thinking about how the police target their uh, their victims. Yep. I mean, here in Michigan, we use a lot of road salt. And if you're not affluent, by the time a car's 10, 10 years old or so, and you can actually afford it, there's uh, going to be some rust holes and whatnot in it, you know? Oh, from the salt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, you can pick up something 30 years old out of Arizona, other than being sandblasted by the desert, looks beautiful. But that's not the case around here. But anyway, if you're driving something that looks like a hoopty, they're going to pull you over. And makes sense. If there's, ever, if there's ever any fruit from their ventures, I mean, I remember one time up here, I think for 10 years, every month I bet you I'd get pulled over three times. Oh my gosh! And uh, as as the kids say, sooner or later they're going to catch you riding dirty when they're hitting you that often. You know, whether <laughs> it's just just having two beers or you know smoking a hooter or whatever. 
and uh, that shouldn't but, really be a, I don't think that should really be a crime, but for whatever reason, people agree to pay taxes to fund this gang, this gang group of people that call themselves cops to go pull people over, hoping to find something like a pipe in their car or like a beer after work. Well, plus it's just total BS that these people call themselves um, servants. I mean, they don't behave like servants. They behave like masters. And if I was going to hire somebody to serve me in the area of being in, intoxicated, right? Because I don't think people should be intoxicated driving places. That that sounds pretty dangerous What about just me. smoking weed? Yeah, I don't think that that's a problem personally. I think maybe Isn't for some people it could be. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe by definition, but I think... I think intoxication has to be detectable in some sort of way. Like you have to be worse at doing the thing that you're doing and worse to the point of, you know, it's a danger Hmm. in my opinion. But uh, if I wanted to hire someone to be my servant in that way and, you know, do something to interdict me if I was being uh, irresponsible like that, then I would have them do something more compassionate rather than throwing Hmm. someone in a jail cell and possibly ruining their life with criminal charges, they could just simply take that person home. You know, they and this is, by the way, something that, as I understand it, they used to do back in the day. Uh, it's some police would actually pull somebody over for DUI or whatever, and they would drive that person home. Like that's actual service. That's what somebody who is a peace officer would do. That is not what they do today, though. What- Instead, there's just no due process, and people who haven't actually done anything to hurt anyone else, get taken to jail just because they're assumed to be drunk or whatever. But, Major, I think you had some specific stories you wanted to tell about th- this process. Well, the one one time I actually got cut a, cut, cut a deal by the cops. I was only a teenager. Hmm. They caught a few of us out back of the arcade smoking some dope. And, uh, you know, not real hardcore dope, just marijuana. Yeah. But anyway, so they come rolling up and... Who's got the drugs and yada, yada, yada? Well, I had like a quarter ounce or something. They made me dump it out and kick it around and whatnot. And then they took off and left us alone, so that was cool. And most of it was bud, so we came back with a flashlight about half an hour later and got half of it back anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I've had, one time I was in, uh, I was probably in my early 20s, an old man had had a stroke on a, backing out of his driveway and his leg locked up. So he's full throttle up the neighbor's neighbor's driveway, through his backyard, blew through his fence, and uh, took out a cinder block garage on the next block. So I'm on my way out to uh, clean up the mess, and I'd already completed one job that day. So it was like 5, 5.30. I'm driving down, uh, I think it was 96. And I had a joint in my mouth, wasn't even lit. And I could not find a match to save my life. <laughs> so I'm running around through my army jacket and whatnot looking for a match. And I look over, and there's a state trooper right next to me, just eyeing me like a <laughs> With the joint in your mouth. And were you in the process, yeah. like, actually driving, or were you parked looking yeah, for it? I'm, I'm bouncing, down, down, bouncing down the E-way. Dang. So anyway, he pulls me over, and I just grab the joint out of my mouth real casual as, as he's sliding behind me reach over my seat and drop that joint behind my seat. Well, I had all kinds of gear back there. He never could find the joint. <laughs> but I I had a cracked beer between my legs, which I'd only had like two swallows out of, so all he could write me up for was an open intox. Okay. But I also had a uh, 
over legal length knife on my hip. Because I knew I was going down to a back alley in Detroit, and you never know what's going to happen down there after dark. Oh, boy. So, you know, just trying to be prepared for the situation, I tried to explain it for this judge, because the cop gave me my choice. He says, well, I can write you up for the knife or the beer. And my my, my <laughs> dumb ass, I took the knife instead of the beer. I should have took the beer. But she threw me in a hooskow for 30 days because uh, she just couldn't understand how I might have been threatened after dark in the middle of the ghetto as the only white boy there. We have Dave Ridley on the line. What's on your mind, Ridley? Yeah, a wildly different uh, topic. Okay, let's hear it. So uh, I'm always looking for any excuse I can to talk about the you know, the nuclear threat that we're under right now, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, 2.0. Like, you know, it's in its its 14th 14th month. Or no, I guess it's more like the 18th month uh, since the Ukraine invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there something Uh, new? So, yeah, so um, what's interesting is, I guess, the 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 vague the the uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy I think it's the the vague I believe is how oh, it's pronounced I'm not sure yeah so anyway apparently he has a um, a plan that he has uh, been talking about for ending the Ukraine war and it's so brilliant because it's simple and really? I'd never thought of this uh, but what he's pushing is uh, the following uh, uh, ceasefire uh, the, the current line of control becomes the new border. Um, the, uh, the Ukraine does not join NATO. That becomes kind of set in stone. But Russia ends its alliance with China. Okay. So this is what Putin is proposing or no, Ukraine? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, the U.S. presidential candidate, Vivek. Okay, well, what is he going to do about it? I mean, he can't tell them to agree to that. Well, if he gets elected, he can. Sort of. Sort of. Okay, he can so. tell, like, Ukraine, you won't get any more money if you don't agree to this or something? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't know that I can trust that some guy who, you know, came out of nowhere, he's just in the pharmacy business, he has a fake country accent, he is only five foot seven. can just... Go and get elected president of the United States and tell Putin and uh, Zelensky, well, he's also short, what to do. I I just don't really believe that any presidential candidate is going to be better than the other at this. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you on that one, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm not not saying he's great or he's going to have, I'm not saying he's going to do it, but it's a good idea. Well, it'd be great if one of, you know, Putin or Zelensky came out with, that's why I was actually pretty interested at first, because I guess I missed that you were saying this is the VIX. Um, thing. It'd be interesting if either Putin or Zelensky were. You turn that down. Uh, yeah. Thank you. We're Almost coming up with some kind of a peace uh, agreement. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um. I, as I understand it, Ridley, uh, the Ukraine guy does not want to cede any territory to Russia. So this would probably be a non-starter for him. And I suspect Putin is not going to want to end any of his alliances. So I, I'm, my guess is this is not going to go anywhere, even if he was able to uh, make a proposition like that. Well, here's why, here's why it might work. And that, that is the Russians uh, don't do well with alliances with China, right? That doesn't, it's never worked in the past. And the, the, 
they have to kind of they, they, they get treated like a vassal state currently in the, in the situation that they're in. So there's a strong motive for the Russians to, to end that. It's also, <clears throat> if you stop and think about it, it creates a, a sort of a tripolar world instead of a bipolar world. What's the reason uh, they would want to end that? I mean, they are currently in an alliance with China. It's called BRICS. They probably have other agreements as well. I mean, they're they're in a they're in a club together right now and seems to be going fine for them. In fact, they just had dozens of countries, as I understand, at least like two dozen countries. I've heard as many as 40 have applied for membership. They've added six more uh, within just the last few weeks at their recent summit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say exactly, but but the main thing is that they're not they have not done well in the war in Ukraine, and they are looking for a way out, and this would be it. It would also uh, solve essentially solve the nuclear threat for a while because uh, it would make it very difficult for China to invade Taiwan. Um, so it, it is, you know, Russia is just much more it's much closer to being a natural you know, ally of the United States, but that's a little too strong of a word, than, than, you know, but that kind of thing. It's much closer to being workable with the United States than China is. And that's, a, that's what the U.S., one of the things the U.S. gets out of it is a less hostile Russia. Well, I don't think there's any harm in trying the proposal. I mean, it can't hurt to put it forward. Um, however, if it doesn't work out, then the appropriate thing to do is to butt out and stop sending money and uh, arms or whatever, any kind of support over to any side. Ian has a story um, about Japan and how people don't want to go on dates, so they're having their parents do it for them. Yeah, I don't even know if they're having their parents (laughs) do it for them. Uh, I think it's their parents are just doing it. The story is from CNN out of Tokyo, where it's a steamy summer afternoon in the Japanese city of Osaka, where a group of around 60 men and women have gathered for a session of omai, or matchmaking, to find true love. They mingle away, hopping from one end of the conference room at the Sakai Chamber of Commerce building to another as they assess potential matches and the competition. But this is no ordinary speed dating event. Few of the participants are talking about their favorite hobbies, movies, or restaurants, or indeed even about themselves. They're talking about their grown-up, Still single children who they're hoping to match up and marry off. Well, with their permission, at least? Uh, That's not really clear. One woman in her 60s speaks proudly of her 34-year-old son, a public elementary school teacher. A man in his 80s talks affectionately about his career-minded son, who's 49, who works as a controller at an electric company. Each of the parents has forked out about $96 or 14,000 yen to attend this event. Whoa, that's a lot. No, it's not. $96? To go to a speed dating? Shouldn't that just be something going on at a bar? Yeah. I mean, I've never went to one. I've never even heard of one actually happening. People pay a lot of money to go and try and get a date somewhere, right? Like 100 bucks doesn't seem too crazy. You can just Uh, get on like some website for you they're know they're gonna charge you a hundred bucks for a oh, year subscription say, or whatever i don't right? know if those like eHarmony ones cost money so they do uh hosted by the matchmaking agency association of parents marriage proposal information sorry i left out an of association of parents of marriage proposal information that is the name of the matchmaking agency maybe it makes more sense in japan or japanese And they're hoping to meet someone just like them, a parent whose still single daughter or son might be the perfect match for their own lonesome child. 
let me just think about this out loud. Like, how many people's parents really know them well enough to choose a mate for them? Like, I just, I don't think that my parents could do it. My mom would be like, oh, he's <laughs> such a nice boy, Bonnie. Like, if I wasn't married to yeah. you, obviously. My parents, I just don't think that they would They'd do it. They'd end up with terrible choices. My dad would be like, saying. this guy is great. He plays this sport, this he sport, and this music? sport. My dad doesn't like country <laughs> Oh, he doesn't? Okay, well, good. they don't listen to country music. <laughs> So they're talking about the sort of the societal situation there in Japan here in this story from CNN.com. The same forces, they say, that are driving these parents have been playing havoc with the demographics of the world's third biggest economy. They're saying that in the last year, Japan has seen a drop of 800,000 population. Behind that plummeting population is the ever-falling number of marriages and births. In 2021, the number of newly registered marriages fell to 501,116 the fewest since the end of World War II in 1945, and just half the number recorded in the 1970s. And when people do get married, they're doing so at later stages of life, leaving less time to make babies. The median age for tying the knot in 2021 was 34 for men, up from 29 in 1990, and 31 That's just probably something that's having to do with, like, their, uh, their, like, they're supposed to have like higher IQs and be smarter. Mm-hmm. It's just smarter to not have a baby in your early 20s or teenage years. Well, that is definitely true. However, uh, they're still not having as many babies. Um, the drop not in, their problem. Alongside the, the drop in problem. marriages has been a slide in the fertility rate, which last year hit a record low of 1.3, far below the 2.1 required to maintain a stable population. I think that this story is interesting because it's so weird that people's parents are going out and doing this. But at the same time, I really don't get the point of caring, honestly, caring about, about the what? population not growing in Japan. It's like, oh, well, like let nature take its course. Don't force people to have babies that don't want to have well, babies. I don't think and... anyone's talking about forcing anybody here, at least not yet. Well, Hopefully I'm just it saying, doesn't get to that point. I don't point, mean force but... as in like with violence. I mean, just like, what's the point of like even trying to coerce people to have babies? Why not just let nature take its course? Whoever I lives there lives there. I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hearing any coercion in what they're talking about. They're just trying to set people up on dates here. But ultimately, the concern... I'm not saying concern... those people are. I'm okay. saying the people who are always like, can you believe it? They're selling more adult diapers than kids' diapers in Japan. Look, it's just because of the New World Order or whatever. Well, I, don't I just don't that, really but... think it's that big of a deal. If, even if everyone in Japan uh, became of old age and then died, well, who cares if people live on that island or not? Those islands. Okay, I get where you're coming from. Uh... I just think if okay. people want to have kids, they want to. And if they don't, what's the big deal? Okay, so to answer your question from the, not necessarily my perspective, because I get where you're coming from, but just kind of to play devil's advocate here, is, well, if you're not growing, the old saying is, you're either growing or you're dying, right? And it's true in business, typically, uh, It's and it's you know true in life, right? Like if you are, uh, let's say your retirement age, and you just decide you're going to sit around the house all day and watch television, you're probably not going to make it very long. If you are up in those uh, those years, but you're out there doing things and you're active and you're you know you're you're still doing business or whatever, like you still have things that are exciting and interesting to you, then you're likely to hold on much longer. You remember the guy that owns uh, Rogers Campground, Ro- mm-hmm. Crosby? He's like 86 years old. I just don't old. get what this has to do with anything. I, I was I telling understand. you, you're either growing or you're dying. So I'm giving you an, a, an, a personal example of that on an individual level. 
And now on a societal level, the same thing is true. You're either growing or you're dying. And what you're saying is, fine, let Japan die. Let the people move out of Japan and go somewhere else. And you're not wrong about that. If that's what happens, that's what happens. But the reason why people don't want that to happen is because, well, most people don't want to move, right? Like they want to stay where they're at. They like the place that they were born in. They don't want to see it fail. So they want to see the place where they grew up and the place where their friends live and where they live continue on. And so it's frustrating to them to see what seems like the inevitability so of the failure. So why is this such a popular topic in the United States instead of just something they talk about in Japan? I'm it's like sure I, I, I hear people talking about this all the time. That's why I said Ernie was talking about it on the show Monday. Well, they talk about it in Japan, too. Okay, but why are we talking about it? Like, because I don't care. Because it could happen here. Why are you... Well, okay, then why'd you get a vasectomy? Like, I just don't get because it. Because I'm not... I'm not concerned with... I'm not That's saying I question. agree, That's my You're not concerned, Bonnie. right? I'm not saying I... I'm not concerned either. I, I, get, I get it, but I'm explaining to you why so many people are concerned because they're worried that the thing that they love, the place they grew up or whatever, is going to fail. That there are not going to be enough people to keep it growing. But that's and never the case. It's not like the United or the entire population of the earth is going to disappear. So as true. long as you're not closing off the borders, then yes. that's never going to happen. So I don't get the point. You are, And you make a good point that having open borders would actually solve this problem. And it would likely solve the problem for Japan as well. And Japan if they're just is- like, oh, I want them to be purely Japanese. And in all honesty, I think that's kind of evil. I just think it's interesting uh, to look at a what is ultimately a failing society, despite all of Japan's good things that they have going for it. I mean, they have a lot of good things going for them, right? I mean, you pointed out they're generally considered to be intelligent people. Um, you know, everybody knew growing up in the Long 80s. Living. Yeah, everybody knew growing up in the 80s and the 90s that if you want good electronics, you buy them from Japan. Sony, good for cars. instance, right? Yeah, their, their cars are great. The electronics are great. There's obviously a lot of good things about that particular society. Make great cartoons. They did some things right, okay? But they've also failed miserably at encouraging future generations. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where their birth rate is lower than the replacement rate. So there's fewer and fewer people every single year in Japan. Unfortunately, they still haven't opened up the borders to allow for immigration, which, as you pointed out, Bonnie, could help solve this problem. Yep. So there's a problem with, like, uh, I don't know if it's racism or ethnocentrism or what, whatever you, how you would describe how the Japanese are. I don't know enough about their culture. I'm not one of these... What do they call it? Weeaboos or whatever people who are obsessed with. You ask me that like once a month on the show. Japanese culture. I never remember if it's the weeaboo (laughs) or if it's the, there's like another word for it. Anyway, I'm not one of those people, so I don't know a whole lot. Even though I visited one time, it was just to go and visit Roger Veer out there a few years ago where Mark and I went out, and they literally turned Mark around at the border. That sucks so bad. uh, Like how long was he on a plane? 23 hours? Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, From California to to Japan. Hmm. And uh, so they're making some big mistakes. And so it's it's interesting to learn from other people's mistakes, Bonnie. So that's why I, I find this I just don't care why it's a mistake or a failure. It's just like, this they're is failing. just what's happening. Well, what? it is what's happening. But they they were a country that was on the rise. They were, what does it say here? They were the third largest economy or are the third largest economy. I mean, that is a huge thing, right? This is no... Uh, this is no slouch that we're talking about here, but it is uh, it is an economy that's on the way down. And that's actually what they get into here in the CNN piece about 
you know, why is it people aren't getting married? Well, they point out that people in Japan, uh, their average paycheck raised only 5% from 1991 to 2021. Now, Bonnie, if you were working at a job and you only got, you know, less than a percentage of an increase in five years working for that job, you might get sick and tired of that, right? Like you might feel like this is a, a job that does not appreciate me. I'm good at what I do, and they're not giving me any kind of raises. I'm the other out of part here, about right? it uh, that might be making people not want to get married. This is just a hunch. I don't. I've never been there, and I don't know a lot of Japanese people or any Japanese people. Um, but I saw a video where somebody was going on the street and asking Japanese women what they think of white guys. This is in Japan. In Japan, in Tokyo. And all of them were like, white guys are so handsome. I love white guys, but I almost don't think I could date one because they're too beautiful. They're more like art than human beings <laughs> and all this stuff. And I don't know. It just made me think. It's making me think now. Maybe the lack of immigration is making people just like they don't want to be with somebody who looks like like them. Like, I don't know. Maybe some people just or it could be wish because that the they Japanese could go guys out. are so wussified. That they just generally don't want to waste their time with them. Are they really wussified? How do you know that? I don't know. Well, that's the kind of the culture that is the problem over there is you've got a bunch of young people who aren't interested in working. They're not interested in bettering themselves, obviously. I mean, if, you know, we see it over here, too, in, in the United States with this soy boy uh, thing. Imagine a culture of soy boys. Yeah, I know. That's literally what we live in, Ian. But, but there's fewer of them here per population than there are in Japan, and I think that's the problem. And the white, the, the, I don't know ja- if I believe it. the Japanese girls may also be under the misconception that it's not that way here. Like mm. they might think that uh, white guys are more like you know Tom Cruise or something, somebody they see on the movies rather than what they know from from real life. So there may be some misperceptions, kind of like in the same way. There's still a lot of people in Africa who think that there's freedom in the United States. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of mythology out there. I just think but, that it's like if. There's like all kinds of different looking people and they have the internet. They can see what they look like and they only have one option basically because their government won't let people immigrate. Yeah. They might just be like, I want to go to France or whatever and date a French guy, you know. That makes sense. So then you combine all that with the fact that people aren't making as much money now. Bonnie, it was from 1991 to 2021. So we're talking about 30 years where people's paychecks went up only 5%. Terrible. 30 years. Now, that's compared to 34% if you look at the rest of the G7 countries like France or Germany, uh, where people are seeing a dramatic increase in the amount of money they're making. So the point being, if you don't make that much money, you don't feel like you can have a family, right? Like if you if you can barely put food on your own table, don't you agree it would be irresponsible to add another mouth to feed? You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.